Well, this time, let's go ahead and just dis- dismiss Journey Kids. Journey Kids, go ahead and head to the back. Y'all know the drill. So it's that time again. The biggest debate is going to start pretty much this week. So if I, if I ask you this question, if you have an embargo on all things Christmas till after Thanksgiving, I just want you to raise your hand and say, you know what, we don't do anything Christmassy, okay? We don't decorate the house. We don't have... Uh, you know, we don't let the Hallmark fly. We don't do anything like that. How many of y'all would say, no, it's actually already seeped in. It's already kind of taken over our lives and uh, the music's going. We got the radio station on. It's the whole deal. And so I, I think that it's interesting how people are so passionate about that and how it's one of those things where my wife, um, I love her, and she has been all over the Christmas for weeks now. And so um, our house is already decorated and um, yeah, and so it's one of those things where there is so much joy in this time of the year, and it's also one of the busiest times of the year, and what I want us to do this week is, is kind of continue, kind of have a continuation of last week when we started the idea of gratitude that, that Nathan had in front of us, and so he gave us three things, and we're going to take kind of that idea, and I want to expand upon it today. Um, we're going to follow up with the service with the Lord's Supper. I know a lot of us like to know the game plan, and so... Um, at the end, we're going to be having communion, and it'd be a little bit different today, um, but super excited about what that's going to look like. So he said three things. He said you're, that, that we have a basis because we're qualified, we're rescued, and redeemed. And so because of that, we're able to, to be able to show gratitude in a way that actually means something. And it, it's interesting because this semester, I was actually going through with um, a couple different guys during the week doing some discipleship stuff and going through First Peter and, and there's like the most perfect passage for this. And I just wanna read this to us this morning because I think that it should be our rally. It should be our rally cry. It should be the thing that we come around because it says it all. If we can't have the basis of this, then it's very difficult to have gratitude. It's very difficult to be able to have the heart because it has to begin with the basis of Jesus. The fact that Jesus did everything, the fact that we are just recipients of that, the fact that we are the ones that receive grace, we're the ones that are able to live out this life because of what he has done. So I'm gonna read that to you in First Peter. Starting in verse three, it says this, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven, for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is is ready to be revealed in the last times. In all this, you should greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, the greater wor- the greaterness of the worth than gold, which perishes even through f- refined by fire, may result in glory, praise, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. And you are receiving 
the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. That right there, if that is not the thing that we exist for, if that doesn't explain all of it, then we don't have a basis to be able to understand why we would ever show gratitude to anybody else. The fact that we do have a living hope, that we do have, we are walking vessels of the ones that cling to this and nothing else. The fact that God is our prize. He is the, he is the object of why we're here. We're not here just to go through some sort of motion. He is the prize and he is the, the focus and it is how we view the world through that lens. Until Christ is all that you have, you won't really discover that Christ is really all that you need. And there's this whole comparison thing that takes place that we talked about last week and all the pitfalls that happen through that. But if we don't see the very basis for our faith being rooted in the fact that we have a living hope, then we're never gonna be able to show gratitude. It's, always, it's never gonna be enough. We're gonna fill our lives with everything that we possibly can in this world. And it's never gonna be enough. You know, I love to read articles and my, it's interesting, again, just how personalities come to, I read articles every day, just, just, just as read as much as I possibly can and just, you know, different, different, different news sources. And there is a guy that, that I like obscure kind of one-off things. And there is a songwriter named Rupert Holmes. I don't know if you have any of y'all know him, okay? It's, it was in the 70s, I'm throwing this back in the, back in the day. And he, I, I, don't, I didn't know who this person was, but I think each one of us probably has heard the song, Do You Like Pina Coladas? That's how it starts, okay? And, and I think that th th that song just comes on, I don't know if you're like on a cruise or wherever it is, it just seems like, do you like Pina Coladas? And I'm not gonna sing it for you because that would be really, really bad, but the reality is, is that I didn't, I just thought that was a fun song. And then I found out more what that song was about, the fact that this guy had pretty much given up on his marriage. And so what he did was he decided to write a letter, put it in a paper, and put all the things that he thought that he wanted in someone. And that's what the song is about. And then the fact that at the end there was a response back where she, this person, replies and they ended up meeting. When she gets there, it's his wife. Now, I'm not gonna go into all the amount of counseling that that situation needs, because there's a lot. <laughs> but I will tell you this, that you can search for anything and everything in this world, and you're gonna find that you're gonna come up short. The reality is, is that what we have is right in front of us. The joy that we need is right in front of us. The thing that we trust is right in front of us. And with that basis, we're able to then to live that out in a different way. We're able to not only see that our relationship with Christ is the example that we have to show gratitude, but it's really the only way, because if not, we're just exchanging the idea that I'll give you this, I'll give you that, and it's, it, it, there's, a, there's a bunch of pitfalls that Nathan did cover that we will fall into in that. But when we have it from the idea that we literally did nothing and that Christ did everything, there is an understanding that we don't have anything to give. So when we show gratitude, not only to God and to each other during this season, it's based on the very idea of this kingdom that we talked about, all 
the last uh, eight weeks. This upside down kingdom and the Beatitudes, if y'all remember that, that was a very interesting time for me because I love the Beatitudes and, and there was so much richness that came out of that and how we saw exactly that there is a upside down world. There is a kingdom that exists that is countercultural to most of the things that we see in this world. And this upside down kingdom, it's almost like it, God exists in a different sense. And the economy that God operates in is different than our economy. The exchange of, of, of ideas and goods and, and the thing that we understand to be the way that God is, is upside down in this kingdom. Now, Jesus spoke on this kingdom. And he really, at the time, he, he, he used this, ter this term, son of man, often. Now, he did this for a very reason, because he could be kind of mysterious he could speak that he was the son of man and it could, it could mean nothing because it was a common thing to say those words in that day. But then it could be talking about the son of man that we see in some of those passages in the Old Testament that point to this person, this Messiah figure that you're gonna find in Daniel and Zechariah. And if this person was the, was the, the figure that was going to not only be able to show everyone that he was this person, Jesus, at the right time when he first started his ministry, kind of did this cloak and dagger thing where you really didn't know because he didn't want things to be revealed at the right early time. He wanted things to come out at the perfect time. And so if it would have come out early, what would have happened was is that, the, that people would have made it about not the thing that it was trying to be about. They obviously, obviously thought it was going to be political in nature, and it wasn't. Now, it had political implications, but it really wasn't based on that. Luke fleshes this out really well. I'm going to read a couple of passages from, from, from Luke, if you've got your Bibles. In Luke 17, this is how Jesus says it. it. says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. So this new kingdom, this upside-down world was there because Jesus was standing there. So from the fact that when Jesus showed up, this new kingdom was among us. But it's kind of confusing from that because then earlier in that passage, Jesus says this. He says, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So which is it? If it's already there, and then he goes back and says, but it's not, it's going to be at a different time. Jesus was doing something here. He says in Luke 11:20, he even goes out and he says this. He says, I will drive out demons by the finger of God and the kingdom of God has come upon you. So once again, it's this weird exchange. What is Jesus doing here? Luke 19, he even goes so far, I can't get into all of it, but there's a parable in, in, in verse 11 where Jesus referenced in this parable, which a parable is obviously a story that's made up to have a significant story of, of spiritual value, right? And so, so when, whenever Jesus told this story, this parable, he talks about this nobleman coming from a far kingdom and how it obviously was, he was talking about himself. So this kingdom was here, but it wasn't fully here. And I'm not here to confuse us by that. It was already, but it was not yet. 
For it had been inaugurated because Jesus had showed up and was about to die on a cross. But it had not been consummated. It's not made known in its fullness. Now, why is this important? Now, Noah gave us this example when he talks about the idea of an ark and how there was, the ark is literally a figure of grace and it's a figure of the time that we are living now. That there was a rescue, there was a way, there was this time period that took place. And the flood is an example of that. But when you see it more, it kind of spelled out like this, it's like Jesus was saying, it is not fully here, but bits and pieces of it are now. But we're in this period now called grace. And in that grace, we have the ability not only to see God and know God and bring more people to Christ, but on top of that, it will be fully realized in the second coming. That is why Christ has to come twice. So what is all the point of this? The point I'm trying to make this morning is, is that the kingdom of God is here, but it's not fully known yet. When Jesus said that his kingdom was here, the reality is if it's here, then why is there still sickness? Why is there still pain? Why is there still things that we struggle with? Why are we broken people? Why do we find ourselves doing the same things that we've been struggling with for years? The reality is, it's already, but it's not fully, and it will be made made known fully soon. Peter talks about this, right? And he he literally talked about this at the end of, of Peter where he talked about the time is coming soon. See, Peter truly believed that Jesus was gonna return in his lifetime. He had no point of reference. He had nothing. He saw all this stuff unfolding in front of us and he thought that the time was coming soon. And so how do we process that today? That is because I think that we are living in a time period of grace and God is giving us more time for grace. And he's showing us himself. And we, have, we could see the attributes of who he is in his kingdom, but not fully. I think we might have a, a slide of this. There is a white um, slide that we have. Can we show that first one? Okay, that's bright, right? Would we all agree that's white? And then, but the reality is, we have a second slide that shows it's not fully white, but we thought it was. I want to illustrate today the idea that God and his presence is here and that there was something that happened to this upside down world that he started when he stepped foot on this earth, but it isn't going to be known until his second coming. It's already, but not yet. It's inaugurated, but it's not consummated. We're not here to be in theology class this morning, but this is super important because it makes a lot of of a, a basis to know when we talk about gratitude that we'll fully understand and know who God is and we'll be able to live this out after the second coming, after we're made into who he truly wants us to be, after we're glorified as the theological term is. Now, here's the, here's the reality. I tell you all of this because I know that we live in a time that there is still sickness and pain. There are frustrations. But the kingdom still is here. And we're able to 
grab hold of that. And we're able to look into that. Now, if you look at Peter's life just as a whole, the fact that he said these very words, he, you know, whenever he read in First Peter, he talked about the, the, the fact that our end result of our faith would be the salvation for our souls. And he talked about the living hope that we have in Jesus. But Peter, if you know anything about him, he went through seasons in his own life. Seasons of doubt, seasons that he struggled, seasons that God did amazing things through him and he was in tune with who God was. But it still was pretty messy. He was the first person, obviously, to figure out that, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the first person to, to, to actually say that to Jesus. But he's also the guy who denied knowing Jesus. He's the guy who stood in the book of Acts and preached and thousands of people came to know who he was, who Jesus was. In Acts 12, he was thrown in jail and suffered. And then as we know, he was escaped from that. So what I want us to see this morning is because of this kingdom is not fully known, there is still a lot that the Christian has to go through. And there's a lot of things that we're gonna struggle with there are seasons in our own life. And if you were to look at Peter, he definitely had seasons. If you were to just take it even like this, if you would just use like, obviously, we don't really have four seasons here. We have like maybe two and a half, right? But if you look at spring and you look at summer, grace and our ability to show gratitude in those times looks different than it does when we are in the middle of the winter. The low points of our own lives, right? And so, so I remember, you know, the, the, the sweetest moments in my own path as a Christian and how God was showing himself in, in amazing ways. And it's just like there was newness and there was freshness. There still is some, some pitfalls that happen in the middle of when you're seeing God in a, in a way. First off, the number one thing that you experience is that there is, a, is a, a tendency that we take credit for that. We think we did that. Or the fact that we think that somehow because of our success or the, or, or the job that we have, we're able to do these things or see these things. But in all reality, it still all falls under the idea that it's gifts from God. It's gratitude from God. So in the wintertime, whenever you look at some of the pitfalls there, what are some of those look like? some of the darker times in your own life. I think the first one is the fact that you're not able to see or remember that God is even present. The deeper issue is that is, is he even really good? If we'd all be really honest, we've probably gone through periods of our own lives that we've struggled with seeing that God is even there, we feel like our prayers just hit the ceiling and there is nothing more. We also fail to see that we can trust God and through this circumstance that he is gonna use that to strengthen us. 
that we're gonna learn more about who he, he is and the character that he has. So this baseline thing that we have, if we don't have that, then we immediately fall into the, to the notion that is even God for me. But when we have that basis, like we talked about in 1 Peter, we're able to have a cornerstone. Peter then goes on to talk about the cornerstone. And the thing about the cornerstones is you can either build your life on that or you're gonna stumble over and, and struggle with it your whole life. And so gratitude has to come from the very idea that even in the dark times, I see God at work, I trust him. And I know that he is working through these things, even in the midst of the pain. At our wedding, which was, I don't know, 20 years ago, I wanted to put this scripture on like the, the bulletin and my wife didn't let me. And it's kind of the most... I don't want to say gangster, but it's, it's the most amazing scripture in the world to me because it just shows the fact that you see the full counsel of who God is. But I'm going to read it for you. It's out of Habakkuk, and it says this. It says, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no gr- grapes on the vine, and the olive, creeps, we'll try again, and the olive crops fail, and the field, fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will be joyful in my God, my Savior. Now, I said those words as this little Bible student, just thinking that's, that's awesome. And the reality is, is that I have definitely been through seasons in my own life. I have seen the summertime and the newness of God the freshness of all those things that happen. But I've also seen the fall and the winter just as much. If you know anything about my story, us moving to Jonesboro was very much us entering a time, what I would consider the fall and the winter. Not that we didn't feel called here, not that we didn't see that God was working, but the time was just harder. We went eight and a half years at our previous church, eight and a half years with our family and saw literally nothing happen that was hard in life. We went through, it's almost like the biggest thing that I had was I got a speeding ticket. Like there was just very little that I could say happened. It's, for whatever reason, it seemed like what we did, for whatever it just seemed like it worked out and the life was, quote, easy. And moving here has been one of the most rewarding things that we have ever experienced in our lives, but it doesn't mean that it's been super easy. Uprooting my children at spring break, everybody's already got everything settled. As teenagers, it wasn't real easy. Your friend groups change. Seven months later, Brenda's mom died. 
here in Jonesboro while I'm at a church conference, keeping our kids in our house? It wasn't real easy. The reality is, it's easy to say and quote Habakkuk 3, but living through that and saying, God, are you even there? Is a part of all of our story at some point. Moving into COVID and then seeing an F3 tornado hit our house. doing over $150,000 worth of damage and us having to move out for six months, that wasn't easy. Us living through that? And if I went through this room right here, you would see that my story in comparison is probably pretty easy for some of the things that people in this room are walking through. What we see Journey going through in the last 10 months has been difficult. The people that we love and the body that we have, this has been a difficult time. I wouldn't say that this has just been everything that we would imagine, but the reality is, is that God, because he is the basis of everything that we have, we can show gratitude, not only to God, but to other people in the midst of a darker time of our own lives. The reality for me is that I have never seen more clarity of the goodness of God than in the last four years. And I've never been able to see the fact that I have nothing to do with this. It's all because of him that I can say that in this this time. In the Old Testament, throughout throughout whenever they would go into battle and throughout various times they would have they would have a banner that they walk into to the war with. And they were usually campaigns about what God was doing or who God was, and they weren't just exclusive to God's people, they also were on other people. The Syrians had them, Babylonians had them. They, it was very common. They didn't have Twitter, bad example. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have anything. They didn't have a way to communicate who they were and why they were there and what they were about. The, the campaign that they had usually was very indicative of that day. And so when you hear these terms like his banner over us or when you hear about the banner literally was just meaning this is our declaration. The first thing before we even go to war, I mean, that's not the smartest, to have people out front carrying this banner. But it was super important for everybody to know exactly who they were and what they were stood for, what their battle cry really was. So this morning, I was wanting us to have a moment where we take communion together as a church. It's gonna be a little different. 
And in that, there's four stations set up. And, and I've picked just four names of God that we have that I think are relevant for our time of our church. And this is what I'm gonna ask, is that you go and pick one that you can declare this means that's my story. That's where I line up. That's the, the way that I want to, to, to not only come to the table and receive communion, but it's the one that I identify in the season of my own life right now. I think we have a slide for that. Maybe. So as there's four stations starting over here, the God who brings peace The God who heals, Jehovah Rapha. The God who provides, Jehovah Jireh. God is our shepherd, the the very term that we see in Psalms 23, that the the unique word for God that we see there. And my Hebrew is a little rough, so hopefully I got all these right, but it's been many years. Jehovah Ra. But we see that God these specific names for God are seen for a very specific purpose in the Old Testament because they declare at that period who God is and how he's relating to his people. And so this might be just a little bit messy, awkward. We might all go to one. I don't know. But this morning what I want us to do is is you go to the table that best fits the season that you have and the season that you're in. If your life is a testimony just of how great he is and that he's guided you, and I'm not saying any of these are specific about winter or summer, but they are relevant to one thing is that God reveals himself in different ways in our lives. But the basis that we have is that Christ is our living hope. So this, this, let's just go ahead and do this. I'm gonna go ahead and just pray for us. Before I do, I'm gonna tell you that we're gonna have some music, we're gonna have a, a prayer time, um, and you and your, if it's just you or if it's your family, if you just wanna come up and take the Lord's Supper, we're not gonna do it together because there's different things going on up here, but, but we do understand that when we take communion, it's symbolic to the fact that it was his body that was broken on a cross and his blood that was shed for us. And as he was there naked six, six hours, six to eight hours on a cross, we know that through that, we have one thing in common in this room. Symbolically, when we take of that, we all have to enter the same way through the grace of Jesus. And when we drink that, that juice, it's representative that we all need the blood, the blood that was shed of Jesus. For he was, he was perfect, and we're not. And he was this ransom. He was this sacrifice because he was God and because he was perfect. And because of that, we have a way to get to a holy and righteous God. Because of that, we have a way to be in communion, fellowship with God.
So this morning, is your peace? Is it the God who, who brings peace? Is it the God who heals? The God who provides? Or the one that guided us? He's our shepherd. The one that took care of us. Whatever those are. Let's just come to the table this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. God, this morning, I thank you that we can have gratitude even in the strangest seasons because you are the basis of our outlook. God, this morning, that is our, that's our battle cry. God, I, I just pray that you would just bring our church together. God, I pray that you would unite us as one around one common thing, and that is who you are. God, I pray that regardless of our situation or circumstance, that we have the hope, the living hope of you. So as we come and we take of, of the bread and the, and the juice, God, I pray that you would and fill us with the knowledge of who you are. You would, you would bring us together as one and you would also give us hope in the darkest times. God, if it's the, if it's the times that everything's going great, I pray that we would turn that back to you. We would not assume that was us. For God, we know it was you. God, we want to be recipients of, of grace, but I pray that there would be a, a moment just that we would examine ourselves, that we would look at our own lives. God, we thank you for the blood. We thank you that you are a living hope. God, during this time, we show gratitude to you. God, we give thanks to you. God, I pray that we can work through those things together. We find our sufficiency in you and you alone. God, as we examine, as we look at our lives, God, I pray that as we feel led, we come to the table and we receive the gift that was pure gratitude on your part. God, we love you in your name. We do pray. Amen.